Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Hello, and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And for those of you who are just tuning in, the Betches Sup Podcast is your weekly rundown of all the crazy shit that's happened in the news, explained by your two funniest friends. Which is us! Today we're talking about Taylor Swift, Coronavirus, and the South Carolina primary. Let's get into it. Betches Media presents... Like beer, I don't know if you... Do okay. you like beer, Senator, or not? Um, Mom, I want a vape. <laughs> Nude pictures of Trump. Come on, now. Don't mess with me. The Betches Sup podcast how dare you ah, Hi. wow primary season really is upon us it truly is every truly. day there's a new thing truly it's uh, it's crazy to me that there was like these back-to-back debates i know like i and it also the most recent debate feels like it was extremely far away yeah to me like when i was looking at our show notes and i was like oh right we're gonna talk about that debate that happened it just happened on tuesday <laughs> but it feels like a million ages away. Yeah, well, and we'll get to all of that real quick. Um, at the end of the episode, um, I am joined by Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a great interview. We talk about, um, he's actually also a co-chair on Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so we talk about that. Um, I think he's only like one of five people who are who is considered a co-chair, whatever. Very cool. Um, so we talk about that a lot. Um, we talk about um, this new legislation that he's introducing that will um, hopefully add a third gender to um, your ID, like your passport and amazing. stuff. Amazing. And we also talk about his thoughts on Mike Pence as coronavirus czar. <laughs> And Which we will get into in this episode yeah. as well. So make sure you, you all stick around for that at the end of this episode. Definitely. And we actually also have a piece of very exciting SUP-related news. Mm-hmm. Starting on Monday, guys, we are adding another co-host to the pod. Ooh. We are welcoming Caitlin Bird. She's written for HuffPo, NPC, Dame, Bustle, and... She's just wonderful. You can find her on Twitter at Gotham Girl Blue. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be joining the sub team on Monday. And we're all really excited yeah. about it. As you all know, it's a crazy uh, year. It's an election year. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of news. We need all the help that we can get. Yes. As many new perspectives, mm-hmm. cool, thoughtful people bringing them into the sub fam. Mm-hmm. So and, and I'm excited. Yeah. And does, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that Elisa or I or Sammy and Amanda will be doing the podcast less. It's more that we will have more voices. Yeah, it's it's more that we're going to be doing three person episodes more yeah. than that any one of us will be appearing less. So don't worry, your yes. favorite hosts will <laughs> still be in your ears I every know. week. Yeah, you guys are all freaking out. It's fine. Yeah, they're like, oh my God, what if Brian isn't on all the episodes? And it's like, don't worry, Brian's still here. Caitlin's just joining. I am going to Mexico tomorrow. That's exciting. So I will not be here. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be fun. Yeah. Brian. Yes. Aside from our new co-host, mm-hmm. what's getting you through this week in Trump's America? Well, you know, the pop world is... Uh, I'm living for the pop world right now. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, this isn't technically what it is, but t- Lady Gaga is releasing her new single and music yes. video tomorrow. And, and I just shared with Brian an article mm-hmm. that I need to finish that came out in the New York Times, I think, about a woman... <laughs> It's called Opinion. My ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend is Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> and that's basically what the article is about. Yeah. And we both, we both talked about like how we were, we were like, would just spiral at that happen if that happened. Oh my God. If I logged into TMZ and I was like, is, is that my college ex <laughs> with Lady Gaga? It oh. would be awful. So I was in the I was in the movie theaters the other day, and I saw this movie trailer for this kid, this uh, uh, that I went to art uh, film school with, that he wrote, directed, and starred in. I like was I was like, oh my god! And then I couldn't pay attention to the movie afterwards. Yeah. I was like, what am I doing with my life? Being in comedy, it happens all the time where I'm just trying to casually watch a show, and then someone who like started doing comedy three years later than me is like. <laughs> in in the show mm-hmm. for a role that like I didn't even go out for that role I go, went out for like the person who's serving food to that role and I did not get it <laughs> it's like guys start having a spiral 
So it's it's uh, it would be tough to find yeah. out that my ex boyfriend was dating Lady Gaga currently. Yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, so Taylor Swift released the new music video for her latest single, "The Man." Yes. It's great. So it's actually the first, as we all know, Taylor has been really on this, uh, you know, activism, female empowerment, you yes. know, movement in this past like few years. Um, I don't know if you all watched Miss Americana. It was uh, great. We I think, talked about it on the pod. Yeah. Um, and so this is the first music video that she directed herself. She um, talks about all these stereotypes. It's full of little like Easter eggs. Is that what they call them? Yeah. I saw online because I haven't had a chance to watch the video yet. So I, I just saw online that it's full of like. It's basically. Yeah. Easter eggs, like little surprises. And there's like, a, so there's a line in the song where she's like. I, I could be Leo in San Tropez. Yes. And there's like all these like references. She kind of looks like Leonardo DiCaprio in the video. And so there's like a vid- <laughs> there's like a video of her like walking through a con like a, like a, an office like pretty Wolf of Wall Street esque like on a yacht in San Tropez. There's like a man. She's man spreading on the subway. It's it's you know she's trying to highlight this you know this uh this disparity in the way we treat men and women in yeah. uh the media and just in life in general and i just thought it was really fun and interesting and great i mean taylor is an interesting example of a lot of that stuff because for how long was her was the whole like critique against her was that she dates too many people and mm-hmm. then you're right leonardo dicaprio has a new 25 year old blonde girlfriend every yes. week and they're on a yacht and like if i was 22 and attractive and really famous i would sleep with everyone oh of course i mean that's no like if i was a 22 year old model and uh-huh. leonardo dicaprio was like do you want to be my girlfriend for the next like three to six months i'd be like yeah absolutely that sounds great yeah let's let's book i'll book my play <laughs> like sounds good so it's true i don't know i just thought it was fun and lighthearted, and i like all the things that she does yeah uh, i think taylor's on an upswing and i'm happy to see it i true i i, I true i true i true i true i true i true <laughs> Um, <laughs> Elise, what is getting you through this week in Trump's America? Oh, what's getting me through this week in Trump's America? I feel like I'm now like the Pope stan of the podcast. <laughs> like I'm always the person who's talking about the Pope, bringing up what the Pope is doing. Did you, uh, see, did you see the two Popes? No, see, that's the weird thing is that I love news about the Pope in real life, but I never engage with fictional Pope media. <laughs> I've never seen great. two popes. I've never saw. I've never seen young pope. Never seen new pope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I only care about the actual pope and Olivia Pope and Olivia Pope. And I did watch the Borgias, which is mm. about the pope. Mm-hmm. Okay, but enough about that. What I want to say is that the pope gave his uh, annual Lent speech. It is Lent now, currently, right? Mm-hmm. It is? Yeah, it was Ash, Ash Ash Wednesday what was I yesterday. Ash Wednesday was yesterday, which I didn't see as many people. With ashes as I normally do yeah. in this godless city of New York. <laughs> <laughs> I did see someone with ash on their face, but they also had like something on their mouth. And so I was like, you have something on your face. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's Ash Wednesday. I was like, no, you have ketchup on your chin. <laughs> no, it was, it's a different thing. Yeah. The ashes are a different thing. Um, I like Ash Wednesday. I think it's fun to put ashes on your face. <laughs> and Palm Sunday because you get the little... Oh, yeah, that's you nice. A little, you carry you around the palm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, but the Pope... Basically, he made his uh, Ash Wednesday speech in St. Peter's Square in which he essentially told people to give up trolling for Lent. Uh, He said that it's time to give up useless words, gossip, (laughs) rumors, tittle tattle (laughs) (laughs) and to speak to God on a first name basis. So Mm -hmm. I'm interpreting that as get off Twitter and get right with the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually, the the further we go into primary season, mm-hmm. and the more I read what's being said on Twitter.com, I agree that it, we need to be done with the tittle-tattle. <laughs> what are useless <laughs> words? You I don't know? know like, like, I don't know. I guess I truly believe that like everything on Twitter is useless words uh-huh. at this point. I was thinking about this the other day. You don't go to Twitter to find the best people. No. No, you go to Twitter to get pissed off. And I actually need to like, I need to recalibrate my relationship with Twitter, the website, because Mm -hmm. I think that it gets me involved. It gets me mentally and emotionally involved in controversies that don't exist in the real world, like about things that are like trending that actually most people don't 
have no idea about and don't mm-hmm. care about. And I keep getting involved in like these little minor spats between candidates in the primary. And I can't like, yeah, I can't give my emotional energy to that any longer. I know I put a, I put one of those timer things on your phone. Yes. That on For Twitter for all the time. Yeah. I think that that's really smart and I'm going to need to do something like that mm-hmm. because it, I, I will the most, <laughs> this is a disease that I have, which is that I will read a tweet that I know is going to have replies that will upset me. And then I will go and seek out those replies and read them and make myself upset. I do the same thing. And Why? I, Why? But the, the thing is, I do the same thing and I never, I know that I will never say anything because I'm like, oh, I will oh, not engage in this. No, I But would, I just want to watch it. I'm like, why am I watching this? Right? It's like a car accident. There are like three people who I don't follow on Twitter who I check their profile because I think that they're dumb. And when I read their opinions, it makes me angry and i'm like why do i keep going i'm seeking this person out oh just random people i met doing improv who like like less than a thousand followers there's no reason for me to be engaging mm-hmm. in this but i actually actively try to find them and read their dumb thoughts yeah and i i don't know it's it's really it, i'm really sick yeah i know it's an issue it's an it's issue. A horrible issue so anyway i'm going to take the pope's advice and I'm not I'm personally not trolling people online myself, but I'm going to give up engaging in trolling in any way, seeking out trolling, reading trolling. But just until Easter Sunday. But just until Easter Sunday. <laughs> and then it is back fucking on, baby. <laughs> hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying. He loves airplanes. He loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Okay, should we get into the main news? Yes. Coronavirus! Yes. Ah! <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I, um, I started out... I, I keep like going back and forth about how personally scared I should be about yeah. the coronavirus. I feel like I've noticed that I am more aware of washing my hands yes. and and noticing other people who don't wash their hands. Like today I was in the bathroom and this man just like went to the bathroom and walked out. And I was like, what? Don't you know For we're shame. on the verge of a pandemic? Yeah. Hi. COVID-19. <laughs> heard of it? Gosh. But I didn't say anything. Our, our office, had, we have installed um, hand sanitizer everywhere. We all had to Lysol our desks this morning. I actually Lysoled this microphone right before I used it. It's, I mean, listen, I've got some flights coming up and I'm, I might bring a mask, mm-hmm. you know? I'm not trying to get... I have a mask and I'm going tomorrow and I'm just, I like am contemplating wearing it or not. I don't know what to do. I might wear it. Yeah. People aren't going to fault you for wearing it and also like, yeah, I can't be getting... I can't be getting some new disease. No. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have the flu already this year. I do not need to get a new disease that no one knows what it is. And like our healthcare system is all fucked up. And yeah. who knows if they're going to be like, actually, the vaccine for coronavirus is $2 million yeah, or whatever. That, that could happen. Uh, so let's talk about where we're at now. So the coronavirus has now reached six out of the seven continents. It is not in Antarctica. Mm-hmm. So if you're traveling to Antarctica, you are good. <laughs> Everywhere else, maybe check your travel guidelines. But if you're going to Antarctica, you're good. A case was confirmed in Brazil, which I think was the first to bring it to South America. And then, and, and that patient had recently been to Italy, where Italy is actually having a really intense outbreak. Uh, there are some cities in Italy that are still on lockdown. And the outbreak there has killed 12 people, which last time I checked was the most people that have been killed in an outbreak outside of China. Mm. Uh, and there are now more than 82,000 cases and at least 2,800 deaths worldwide. So it 
is serious. It's not a pandemic yet, but the CDC has said that it basically came out this week and said it will become a pandemic. The quote is, it's not much of a question of if this will happen anymore, but rather more of a question of exactly when we are asking the American public to work with us to prepare in the expectation that this could be bad. So, ugh. Yeah, so there have been at least 60 cases of the virus here in the States. Um, 42 of them are Americans who were on the Diamond Princess cruise ship. The Diamond Princess, the Titanic of our times. Mm-hmm. And uh, President Trump made a statement last night about this. Because um, California had, ju- had just confirmed the country's first case of community transition. This was happening, transmission. This was happening uh like during the statement pretty much. Uh, yeah. Basically this person in California got it, but they have not had any contact with anyone who's been to a country that, as far as we know, they haven't had any extensive contact with someone who's been to a country that has more coronavirus. So now it's raising all these concerns that maybe we don't fully understand how this virus is spread among people, mm-hmm. which is fun for yeah. us. Uh, did you watch President Trump's statement? I did not. I watched clips of it. Um, it was like classically illiterate. He yeah. seems he seems pissed. Off. He seems the whole time he just seems pissed off that this is affecting the stock market, and that's really the only reason that he cares about yeah. it because the stock market has like plummeted, mm-hmm. and the global economy is kind of in a panic mm-hmm. over a possible pandemic, and so yeah. he just kind of came out and was like. Really mad that it's going against the stock market. He's really mad that the Democrats, uh, like, criticized his response in the debate. Um, And so he was giving this uh, address, and he was surrounded by infectious disease experts who have spent the recent days um, telling Americans to start worrying about the coronavirus. Meanwhile, Trump is telling Americans not to worry about the coronavirus. Yeah, he actually claimed in it that there are only 15 American cases, which is not true. There are 60. (laughs) Um, And that the virus spreading is not inevitable, even though the CDC said it was like that morning. We actually have a clip of that. I don't think it's inevitable. It probably will. It possibly will. It could be at a very small level or it could be at a larger level. Whatever happens, we have a total of 15 people and uh, they're in a process of uh, recovering with some already having fully recovered. We're at that very low level and uh, we want to keep it that way. So we're at the low level. As they get better, we take them off the list so that we're going to be pretty soon at only five people. And we could be at just one or two people over the next short period of time. And again, when you have 15 people and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, uh, that's a pretty good job we've done. What is he talking about? So literally all of that is false. There There are 60 people. 40 of them were trapped on this cruise ship, which, by the way, there's another part of the speech where he's like, me, me and my fiance were dying watching this part where he was he's like, you know, most of those people were on the uh, Diamond Princess. We could have left them. We didn't. We we chose to not leave them, but we could have left them. He's like going hard in on the fact that like we didn't abandon American citizenship mm-hmm. citizens on a cruise ship in Japan. To it's like praise me. Yeah, like truly, he's constantly asking for praise for doing the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you rescued your own country's citizens from a disease infected cruise ship. The issue, the issue with him is that, you know, he lies all the time. So yes. anything he ever says ever, you can never believe. And yeah. he is such a fear mongerer that like he's try- like him trying like and like I feel like that's the only thing he's ever really done is like tried and divide people and fear monger. And him trying to like placate people like he doesn't know how to do it. He's not like make he's not reassuring yeah. at all. Well, I've, I, you know, that's one of the things I was thinking about is like. We're actually lucky that Donald Trump has not had to deal with like a major global crisis because he has no credibility. He has no credibility in the world. He has no credibility among the American people, really. Even Mm -hmm. his own supporters know that he's like a huckster. Yeah. So when it comes to potentially facing a global pandemic, it's like you want to be able to trust that the president is giving you the right information about the disease and Mm -hmm. its spread and And we have like the world health organization and the cdc coming out with statements that directly contradict our president and so it's like what the fuck are you doing right and he even went so far as he he got asked about supporters of his like (laughs) 
Congressional Medal of Freedom winner Rush Limbaugh, who has been advancing this idea on his show that the CDC is exaggerating the potential impact of the coronavirus so that it can hurt Trump. And when asked about that, Trump actually said that he agrees that that is happening and Mm -hmm. that he would like it to stop. Yeah. And he said, you know, the stock market probably wasn't crashing mainly because of coronavirus, but because of fears about a Bernie Sanders presidency. (laughs) All lies. Right. Because the stock market also... The global stock market is crashing. It's yeah. not like about Bernie Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> it's because like the stock market isn't crashing around the world because uh-huh. people are like Bernie Sanders might win South Carolina. Yeah. Like that's that's not what's happening. It's because of a disease that is spread or a virus that is spreading around the world that we don't understand how it's mm-hmm. spread. So it's just it's alarming not to have someone that you can trust to give good information because I think back to like past administrations that I didn't don't think are good like whatever the bush administration or whatever Mm -hmm. but if they came out with like information about a virus Mm -hmm. i would trust that information about a virus i wouldn't trust like information that they gave me about like the war in iraq (laughs) (laughs) but i would trust like that they were trying to not spread this virus but him it's like he's so Mm self-interested i think that he would downplay a virus to make it to make himself look better. Totally. Even though he himself is a hypochondriac. Yes. Which is crazy. Did you see this? The <clears throat> top Iranian health official was saying that it's not a big deal and he's like giving this press conference and he's like sweating. People are like, are you okay? Turns out he has coronavirus. I was like, what? It's like oh right before God. it came out that he had coronavirus. He was giving a press conference and he's like sweating. <laughs> it's really bad. Imagine if Trump got coronavirus. That would be so crazy. <laughs> I mean, he, he probably could. He, and he, he would probably also be fine because he'd have mm-hmm. access to really good health care, which I imagine mm-hmm. the president gets. They would have to like sneak the medicine in his mashed potatoes. Yes. Like they do his cauliflower. They would. They would. That, came, that actually, for those of you who don't know, it came out this week that Donald Trump's doctor has been surreptitiously adding cauliflower to his regular mashed potatoes so that he can eat a vegetable ever. <laughs> so they've been tricking Donald Trump into eating a vegetable. Great, um, great, great. And Amanda tweeted this out, but it's like when you put like a dog's pill in peanut butter so mm-hmm. that it'll it'll take its medicine. Yeah. Um, what else came from this uh, address is that he, Trump announced that Vice President Mike Pence, um, who does not believe in science, <laughs> will famously. lead... Famously. does not believe in science, just... You know, the Lord above um, will lead the U.S. team of public health experts and doctors working to combat the coronavirus. Yes, he is the coronavirus czar. Yes. Which we've talked about this on the pod, but I don't know why some people are czar. They just love And some people aren't. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's some interesting stuff about sort of Mike Pence's background in public health crises. Um, When he was the governor of Indiana, Mike Pence slashed public spending on health services. And also he refused for a really long time to adopt a clean needle program, which actually led to the worst outbreak of HIV in the history of Indiana. Mm -hmm. Um, And that people, uh, people started actually getting AIDS again, which mostly in the U S people's HIV is not progressing to AIDS anymore, but under Mike Pence, we got AIDS back, which (laughs) is cool. Um, He also wrote an op-ed and I had to like double check this because it was so insane, but he wrote an op-ed in the year 2000 in which he said that smoking doesn't kill. (laughs) You know what, Mike? I wish that were true. I know I w- that that would be great, but you know we all know it's not. It's I. It took me a minute because like I kept seeing articles that was like Mike Pence once said smoking doesn't kill, and I was like, is this like like a paper he wrote in high school where he was be like I kept expecting it to be like from the seventies mm-hmm. or something, two thousand. <laughs> The year 2000, the man is like, no, smoking doesn't kill. Mm-hmm. He's what? Al- yeah. He denies, you know, you know, evolution, the theory of evolution. And yeah. he said that climate change is just an issue for the left. He also believes in gay conversion therapy. Yeah. So, so that's also. So that's the person who's in charge of our health and wellness with the coronavirus going forward. And, you know, Trump is just, you know, recurring that theme of his where he hires people who are unqualified for the position that he's giving them. Yes, which brings us to today's Wobeck Thursday. 
Today's Wellback Thursday is actually uh, a tweet. This was tweeted by the at real Donald Trump account. <laughs> who, at, has, who has the Donald Trump account? I don't know. Does someone have just at Donald Trump? Someone must, because why would he be real Donald Trump? I don't know. It's interesting. I guess, I mean, he was starting the account back in the day when... He's been tweeting forever. When verifi- verification didn't exist, probably. Oh. So that's when people had to be real. Yeah. And then cheeky people would be like, fake. <laughs> fake Brian Russell Smith. But it's the real me. Okay. Anyway, this was tweeted by Donald J. Trump on October 17th, 2014 uh, from an Android phone. Classic. <laughs> at 6.20 p.m. Obama just appointed an Ebola czar with zero experience in the medical area and zero experience in infectious disease control. A total joke. Truly a tweet for everything. Yep. That's what happens when you won't shut the fuck up. Right. And it's like. Contradict yourself all the time. First of all, I haven't looked into who Obama appointed as Ebola czar, but I feel like this is probably not correct. And Mm -hmm. second of all, I bet the Ebola czar didn't make AIDS come back. So like. He's exactly. still doing better than Mike fucking Pence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shall we move on? Yes, to our election section. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the part of the primary that I really... I don't think that I have the constitution for primaries. Like, mm-hmm. I can't handle all the... Everybody fighting amongst themselves. It mm-hmm. makes me feel sadness in my heart mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. it causes me great anxiety it makes me feel sadness every single person when i hear them explain why a particular candidate can't win i start panicking mm-hmm. and now we're in the point where it's just everyone explaining why the other person can't win and mm-hmm. so i'm just panicking constantly i don't get why they didn't do this earlier they should have been they should have been knives out at each other's throats over the summer and try and knock each other out then and then like now trying to be unifying you know what yeah, i mean yes i would love the reverse i also just feel like our entire, like in other countries, campaigns, the entire thing is like six months long. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's like this three year long process. Mm-hmm. You spend so much time agonizing over it. The primary, like whoever our nominee is, is going to come out so like bruised and battered from this primary. And then they have to go into fighting the actual enemy, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is Donald Trump, who's already using really dirty tactics mm-hmm. to win. It's just, I don't know the entire I'm, I'm like very disillusioned with the entire primary process at this point. Mm-hmm. I think that it should be six months long, three debates. Everyone votes on the same day. Whoever wins on that day, that's the nominee. Yeah. I don't know why we have this crazy situation that we have now. We need to. Yeah. We need to stop spreading out these primaries and caucuses like this. It doesn't make sense because like, like, I mean, not that I'm it's that I think this is a bad thing, but like once Bernie Sanders has started winning, it's like almost impossible like it's almost impossible to stop him not that i want to stop him but like yeah it should just all be done on one day and it's yeah. like you everyone votes on the same day yeah so it's not just like building off momentum from all these other places and trying to steal momentum from this place and then like trying to do all this complicated math to get to a number mm-hmm. it just, it's it's weird so we just had another Democratic debate, yes, as we said. Which was a mess. Um, it was in South Carolina ahead of the state's primary, which is this Saturday. Um, polls currently show Biden ahead. Um, and he has really banked the fate of his campaign on winning a landslide in South Carolina. Yes. So the latest Clemson University poll actually has Biden leading at 18 by 18 points, but followed by Tom Steyer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then Bernie Sanders. But I've also seen other polls that have Bernie and Biden really, really yeah. close together and Tom Steyer a little behind them. So yeah. I think all we can say for sure is that Biden's going in definitely as the front runner to South Carolina. Yeah. But how much of that victory he does, how much of a victory he gets, I think, is really up in the well, air. And everyone is like, well, how is Tom Steyer doing so well there? It's he is he's a billionaire. Yes. Um, and he has been spending uh uh, an insane amount of money in South Carolina. Yes. Um, to try and turn out the vote there, just especially there. I, I don't know what his, you know, thought process was. But. It's interesting because Biden actually went after Steyer in the debate, which I was like, oh my God, I've never seen someone <laughs> take the time. And that's why. And the, yeah, because Tom Steyer is 
Def is pulling if he's pulling supporters away from anybody in, in South Carolina, he's he's pulling them away from Joe Biden's yeah. like landslide victory mm -hmm. there. I feel like he's probably not though I'm I'm sure some Steyer people would go to Bernie, but it's really the moderates who need to knock each other out if they want to continue yeah. moving forward in this in this little game. They're that we're all playing. like I feel like, you know, all the moderates are kind of, you know, shooting themselves in the foot. You yeah. know, and letting Bernie Sanders run away with it. It is one of those things where it helps me. It helps me tamp down like my conspiratorial mind. Where sometimes I'm like, the DNC is like this big shady organization that does all this stuff, and I'm like, yeah, but if that was true, they'd like have that. They'd like have a meeting right now with all the moderates and be like, okay, you're staying in, and you're staying in, and all the rest of you have to go. Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> I know. If they were actually like this big, like dark shadow that's trying to prevent Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren from getting the nomination. They would like. They would organize that well, a little Well, you'd think better. that's what they would do, but, you know, they the New York Times did just talk to a, a bunch of superdelegates, and they said that they were going to work to not let Bain and Bernie Sanders become the nominee. Yes, I did read that, and I just want to go on the record and say that I think that that would end badly. <laughs> um, I'm just going to put it out there that yeah. I think I think that that is probably a way to lose the election before it's even begun. Um, yeah, so this debate was kind of crazy. Yeah. The moderators could not keep it under control mm -mm. at all. Um, they the were audience just, was crazy. The, the audience mm -hmm. was like screaming, booing, mm -hmm. all this stuff. I couldn't get a handle on like because they were booing a lot. They were booing, they booed Liz and Bernie the most, the most, and so like I was cheered like, Mike Bloomberg the most. Yeah, so I was like, oh, is Bloomberg paying these people? <laughs> I know it was really bizarre. <laughs> like, it's like they booed Elizabeth Warren when she was like, he should release his taxes, and they cheered Mike Bloomberg. He's like, I'm eventually I will. It was like what? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it was. It, it was like I, I heard one lady specifically a lot. It was also they also CBS allowed Mike Bloomberg to run an ad during the debate, which I thought was mm -hmm. completely unethical mm -hmm. and insane. That just means that like so he basically gets an extra chance to make a point with no rebuttal in the middle of the debate. And it was like he wasn't in the ad. It was like an anti Medicare for all ad. Mm. So like. It wasn't even um, it wasn't even obvious necessarily to the whole audience that that's what um, was happening. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was really gross. Yeah, it was gross. That seems it, most, that's insane. Most Democratic voters support Medicare for all guys. Yeah. Um, yes. So this debate was expected to center more on race than uh, others, but the candidates' answers were generally shallow. Um, here's what a couple of them touched on: Bernie Sanders focused on criminal justice reform, specifically marijuana legalization. Hey. <laughs> Um, something that's very important to all of us. Um, Pete Buttigieg brought up maternal mortality and efforts across the country to suppress the minority vote. Pete had a good answer on race in this debate, I think. And clearly, I mean, Pete does his homework. Mm -hmm. And Pete knows that this issue is a really uh, tough issue for him. And it's basically holding him back from the success he would like to have. So I think, yeah. he, I think he prepared like a good answer on it. He pointed out, he was like, we're seven white people who are talking about this on the stage. And mm -hmm. like, we need to recognize that we don't have the lived experience. Da da da. I thought that was good. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Warren called out Bloomberg's comments on redlining and mm -hmm. said that while he was speaking out about that, she created a federal agency to protect people from bad mortgages. Um, Joe Biden said he has worked his whole life to promote civil liberties and therefore had earned black support. And at the end, he said he uh, he put a black woman on the Supreme Court. Yeah, he also he had a really good line where he was like, I'm not like I'm not asking you to give me anything. I'm looking to earn this support. Mm -hmm. And that got like a big cheer from the audience. I did find him saying I will put a black woman on the Supreme Court like, kind of pandering. This, the whole debate was very had that energy uh -huh. i was like "Ooh, that seems really obvious to yeah me. i mean it would be great and that's a good thing to say but I, it's also like i just like i i mean i just feel like it brings up so many issues with his past you know like regarding anita hill yes. and all this stuff and it's i you don't put anita hill on the supreme court yeah imagine oh yeah. my god that'd be so crazy <laughs> i'm just i'm also more surprised that he wasn't attacked more um for you know that um, the way he dealt with that at this debate and, you know, even his crime bill. I mean, I know Steyer brought it up, but it didn't seem like it really, really caught on. Because Steyer brought it up. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Um, Bloomberg apologized for stop and frisk. Again. I already apologized. That's what he's always I saying. Know. He's always like, I already apologized for that. Yeah. I already apologize. He has no charisma, a vacuum I know. of charisma. Maybe like maybe you should work like I feel like words don't mean very much to people whose uh, records have not been expunged from all of those things that you've done. Right? Exactly. There there are like just so people maybe who are listening who don't who aren't from New York like and don't can't like conceptualize the stop and frisk thing that was going on when I first moved here you would see it mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. can tell you I was never once stopped yes. or frisked I, I would walk onto the train with marijuana in my backpack yep. often I never had a problem mm-hmm. there was only one type of person I ever saw being stopped and frisked and number two there's actually data that's come out to say that it the stop and frisk program in the in the city affected high school graduation rates of teenagers mm-hmm. because they were being stopped and frisked on their way to fucking school. Well, I was an intern at the Colbert Report, uh, and I was interning with this other kid who was Hispanic. And he, well, in our like four month internship, mm-hmm. he had been stopped and frisked three times. That's and insane. I had zero. Never. Never, I was never stopped one time. I had zero in my entire experience living here in New York. And also, if they were like really worried about crime, they should have like fucking went to Wall Street and stopped and frisked all the white people with all the cocaine in their bags. Right, exactly. Those are people who are literally doing coke at lunch. <laughs> I like went to I went to like a very fratty straight like bar the other day, and I went into the bathroom, and there's just white powder all over the floor in the back of the toilet seat. Right, like everyone's doing cocaine in here. Right, but a 15 year old with one nugget of weed is like <sighs> we have to keep them away from the public transportation yeah. system. It's it's crazy, and it actually caused extreme damage. And when you listen. To Mike Bloomberg talk about it, there is no contrition in his voice no. about the effect of this policy. He seems like every time he talks about it to me, I feel like I can hear him like rolling his eyes and being like, I can't believe you guys are bringing this up again. I know. What I don't understand about Michael Bloomberg is like, it's just so evident that he does not give a shit about anyone else. You know, he clearly does not care about people. Yeah. Like, uh, it's like, so what are you doing this for, man? Yeah, and I mean, I think the real test of how much Mike Bloomberg does or does not care is if he loses this whole thing, what what does he do with that money? Does he keep running ads against Donald Trump? Does he keep help, helping Democrats? Or does he sit out because he's mad yeah, and I, annoyed? I so know. we'll see about that. I think Tom Steyer will do, do still Tom run ads. Tom Steyer, I actually think, would still run ads. Yeah. I think Tom, of the, of the random billionaires that have no fucking business being in the yeah. race, Tom Steyer is the better one. Well, um, another thing Mike Bloomberg did during the debate is he started talking about how, how he supported so many uh, congressional races. And he was going to say, I got these people elected. And he accidentally said, bought. Yeah. Like and I bought them. I bought them. And it was like, Ooh, yeah, that was not that a great was moment really for you. Bad. There was also this weird, I mean, the whole debate was weird and I, the moderators, I don't think did a great job, but they asked at the end for everyone to say a life motto and a misconception. So they were like, everyone say your yearbook quote. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone went down the line. Mike Bloomberg, he's the last one. He had more time than anybody to come up with a misconception. Mm-hmm. And he just goes, the misconception about me is that I'm six feet tall. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, so number one, that's not funny. Yeah. So maybe pay your weird comedy writer that you've hired to make memes uh-huh. for you to come up with more lines and number two you're one of the people with the most controversial records on this stage and you're not going to take that opportunity to speak to any of the mm-hmm. things you're not going to be like you know i think one of the misconceptions is that because i've supported republicans in the past like i'm secretly republican like there are yeah. so many there are actually so many misconceptions about michael <laughs> bloomberg that he could have chosen to address in that moment and instead he just wanted to make a joke about his own height and it wasn't even a good joke no it wasn't funny at all no he has and the other thing about mike bloomberg is they're writing these jokes for him and he, even if they were the best written jokes he has no comedic timing None. and no ability to deliver those jokes absolutely not anytime he was trying to deliver jokes it was just like what, was he being serious or was he trying to make a joke it never worked it's it's crazy he like referenced the naked cowboy yes. from Times square who i'm like is the naked cowboy even active in Times square anymore and he said he said something about um i w- i'm surprised everyone wanted to come to the debate tonight after i whipped their whipped them on the stage last week and i was like is he serious or is that a joke um he i mean we know that he's hired some kind of comedy writer 
to write for him and I I can tell you that the comedy community is dying to uh-huh. know who the fuck that person is. This guy is like fuck fuck. fuck I know he's like please nobody ask me what I'm <laughs> like I'm I, I literally now when I go to shows I ask people like where are you working these days and like try to see like uh-huh. like look into their eyes it, and be like are you the Bloomberg? <laughs> it has to be someone in the New York comedy community. It is. It is. Oh, we know. We, we know, know that, that. It is someone he has hired someone in the New York comedy world to write mm-hmm. his tweets and make memes for him, mm. and he's paying them a, a lot of money. Wow! So I'm keeping an eye, and just so anybody who's listening knows, I'm keeping an eye on who has money at these shows. Who's throwing, who's throwing <laughs> money around? Who's being shady about what they're working on these days? Well, Elise, this would be a perfect cover to take that job. You could be like, it could, yeah, it comes out that it was me yeah. the whole time. You're, you're looking at me, you're like, wait, Elise is wearing a diamond tiara. Yeah. <laughs> huh, that is strange. <laughs> um, so after South Carolina um, this Saturday, Super Tuesday is right behind it. Ah! So that's when 14 states vote and a full third of delegates are awarded. By March 17th, a full two thirds of delegates will have been awarded. Um, so that's a lot. That's that's a good percentage. Yes, <clears throat> and so you you mentioned this earlier, but this week members of the House and other high level officials were briefed on their role uh, if we get to the Democratic convention and no candidate has won the one thousand nine hundred and ninety one delegates they need to win on the first ballot. So basically, the way it works is. And a candidate comes in, if they have the 1,991 delegates on the first ballot, they won. Mm-hmm. It's done. But if no one has that amount, even if there's one person who has the most, it then goes to a second ballot. Mm-hmm. And that is when the 700 plus super delegates, who are basically like governors, party officials, VIPs, get to swoop in and vote for whoever they want. Yeah. And this is causing a lot of controversy. Yeah, so at the debate in Nevada, there was that question at the end where they asked, like, they asked all the candidates on the stage, like, should the most delegates win, even if they don't reach the majority? Should superdelegates have, like, who will you, like, whatever. And all except Bernie Sanders said no, right? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, But what's interesting is that back in 2016, yes. when Bernie Sanders asked the same question, he said yes. So for me, it's like yeah. well, anyone who's losing is going to say yeah. Like or he said no when he was sorry when yes. he was running in 2016. He held the same position that the other candidates are holding against him yes. now. So it seems to me like it's just like none of these candidates want to give up the game until the convention. Yeah, and um, Elizabeth Warren was actually asked about this at a CNN town hall, and I think she gave a very succinct uh, answer, and we actually have that clip during the Nevada debate. You and every other candidate on the stage, except for Bernie, hello somebody, indicated that the candidate with the plurality of delegates should not necessarily be the nominee. Uh This essentially means the will of the voters could be denied by the superdelegates and the DNC, which is basically undemocratic. And in my opinion, is a bunch of baba booey, to put it politely. Can you explain why the will of the voters should not matter if no candidate reaches a majority of delegates? So you do know that was Bernie's position in 2016? Not necessarily, no. Yeah. (laughs) He won won 22 states, so so he went to the the convention for No, that was Bernie's position in 2016, that it should not go to the person who had a plurality. So, and remember, his last last play was to superdelegates. So the way I see this is you write the rules before you know where everybody stands and then you stick with those rules. I think that's a good answer. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do love Elizabeth Warren kind of shooting down a, a snooty Bernie bro type. Yeah, that was, yeah. That said, I do feel like if this goes, if Bernie Sanders comes in with a clear plurality but not majority, and then through superdelegate math, it gets given to somebody else. I just feel like that is not just shooting yourself in one, like both feet, shooting <laughs> your feet off before, before the election. Like these, 
the entire <clears throat> base that voted for him, this whole movement that he's created is going to flip the fuck out. Mm-hmm. It's I feel like the person who gets chosen is going to go in looking not legitimate. Trump is going to have a field day with mm-hmm. that whole thing. And I think it's, I just, I really fear for what the result of that would be. Yeah. It's it's interesting for sure. Um, so we'll Even s- if it was like they picked Liz, who I love, I love Liz, uh-huh. you know, even if they pick someone who I really like, I I just fear for how the rest of the campaign would go when we actually when the key to this election is going to be turning out as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. That I, I have fears about that. Totally, totally, totally. Um, and there's just been a ton of oppo coming out on Bernie Sanders this week. Yes. Um, specifically, his statements about authoritarian leaders, including Fidel Castro of Cuba. Oof. Uh, Elise, you want to get into it? I will. <laughs> As our resident Cuban, I will get into it. So basically, what's been going on is Bernie Sanders told 60 Minutes that it would be unfair to say everything is bad about Cuba's communist res- revolution this was brought up because of statements he's made way in the past and sort of this video of him that comes off sort of like praising Fidel Castro and Cuba's reforms and certain elements of those reforms like literacy programs and healthcare, which were positive to the Cuban people so let's listen to that clip really quick Back in the 1980s, Sanders had some positive things to say about the former Soviet Union and the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And everybody was totally convinced. Here he is explaining why the Cuban people didn't rise up and help the U.S. overthrow Cuban leader Fidel Castro. He educated their kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it? There's a lot of dissidents imprisoned in, in Cuba. That's right. And we condemn that. Unlike Donald Trump, let's be clear. You wanna, I do not think that Kim Jong-un is a good friend. I don't trade love letters with a murdering dictator. Vladimir Putin, not a great friend of mine. So these comments, you know, as a Cuban... I'm torn because honestly, I see where Bernie's coming from with these mm-hmm. comments and I get what he's trying to say. And like, yeah, when the the dictator before Fidel under Batista, most Cubans couldn't read. Mm-hmm. They couldn't read. They had no access to health services. Fidel Castro did bring them to the highest literacy rate in Latin America at a certain point. They were at 99% literacy and they have the best doctors in Latin America. It's literally their number one export is that they're exporting doctors. And like, like when I was in Cuba, one of the things that was, we had talked about as a group was that sometimes people have had to go to the doctor while they were there. And are the facilities as nice as you would see in the U S absolutely not. But you're going to get free medical care, Mm -hmm. which you're not going to get here. Mm -hmm. So I get what Bernie is saying, but I do think that given the fact that he is about to go up against uh, some fear mongering against socialism, Mm -hmm. he could stand to be a lot more forceful in his condemnation of authoritarian regimes because Fidel Castro did hurt a lot of people and he is a dictator. There is no freedom of speech there. There is no freedom of the press there. There are people imprisoned there who are political prisoners. He's also put gay people in jail Mm -hmm. for a long period of time. So like this isn't, it's not great either, you know? And I just, I just think it's unwise for him to kind of dig his heels in to talk about the good parts of Cuba yeah. When he needs to win Florida. I know. <laughs> it's also just silly to me whenever anyone tries to say, like, something is good or bad. It's like everything is a little bit of both. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, and this, we, our country is very incapable of having, like, a nuanced and thoughtful discussion about what goes on in Cuba. Of course, Marco Rubio immediately went crazy on mm-hmm. Twitter and made this weird video of himself driving his car, talking about how socialism is bad. It's going to be it's going to be an uphill battle for Bernie Sanders to win Cubans and Venezuelans in Miami, Dade and Broward County. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard. And I don't think e- even for any Democrat to begin with. Yes, then, because they're going to face socialism accusations anyway. Mm-hmm. But for Bernie to 
have these clips in his past that paint him as like praising Fidel Castro. It's going to be tough. I mean, my dad, um, my dad, who is Cuban and like came from Cuba, texted me. He hasn't said anything to me politically about the primary at all. I didn't even know he was paying attention. And he texted me two days ago. Your boy Bernie blew it. Oh, and I was like, fuck. And I so I know that his Facebook, which is all like his Cuban buddies who live Mm -hmm. in Miami, is like blowing up with this stuff. And the fact that Bernie has this like nuanced view is not what's getting through to people. What's Mm. getting through is like Bernie loves Fidel, which Mm. I don't think is true, but it's not great. And he keeps he keeps going back to stuff that Obama has said that was similar. Yeah. And I'm like. You're not wrong, but Obama didn't say that stuff with Miami Dade on the line. Like he said it when he was in his second term. <laughs> he was, was chilling. I wonder how many people uh, <clears throat> who are criticizing criticizing Bernie have had Che Guevara shirts or <laughs> posters. Probably, I know it's like probably a good amount. Um, okay, should we move on to one more thing? Yes, one more thing. Yesterday, the House passed the Emmett Till Anti Lynching Act which will make lynching a federal hate crime punishable by up to life in prison. This is a bill that they have been trying to pass since the year 1900. So you would think, you know, anti-lynching. Who's going to be against that? How could anyone be for? Who are the anti-anti-lynching <laughs> people? Well, we've got them, and they are in our government. <laughs> yeah, there are four, <laughs> four people voted against this. Um, three Republicans... GOP members Ted Yoho of Florida, Great. Louis Gomert of Texas, and Thomas Massey of Kentucky. Independent Justin Amash also voted no. Really, which Justin is Amash? Yeah. Poor K. Yeah, I don't know. Republicans accuse the legislation of being an overreach by the federal government and encroaching on states' rights. Right. Um, it's a state's right to allow lynching? I guess so. Or to not punish it specifically as a hate crime? I don't know. Um, Gomer said he wanted people convicted of lynching in Texas to get the death penalty, which wouldn't be possible as a federal crime. Okay. Well, okay. I guess that's kind of some roundabout weird logic. I don't know. It's just like you, you would think from a PR perspective. It's just like, just vote just, for just the vote, anti-lynching Just vote goal. for the anti-lynching Again, uh, Okay, I'm seeing here that Amash said that it was an overreach and that it was redundant. And I'm just like, what do you gain by being the four people who voted against the anti-lynching bill? Yeah. Who's the, what vote are you going to get in your home state because you voted against the Emmett Till anti-lynching act? I know it doesn't make any sense at all. It makes no sense. But the, the good news is that the Senate has already passed this. Mm-hmm. The House has now passed it, and it's going to go to Trump's desk, and he's expected to sign it. So, great. Basically, 120 years in the making, but uh, you know, better late than never, I guess. Totally, totally. Um, All right, I think that's the end. Yeah. So, um, everyone, make sure you stick around mm-hmm. for my interview with Congressman Rokana. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Welcome back to the Betches Up podcast. I'm Brian Russell Smith, and right now I'm joined by Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, Congressman, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so earlier this week, you introduced legislation that would instruct the U.S. Department of State to add a third gender option for people who 
don't identify as either male or female on U.S. passports, among other things. Um, why was this important for you? I had talked to people in my district and uh, around my state who are non-binary who really feared traveling and uh, felt that they didn't have an option uh, of what uh, to do. And it's the simplest thing. We ought to have uh, them uh, have the opportunity uh, to have an X and a a marker that they can identify with. Uh, Ten countries have done this, places like Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand, India, and many states have done it for their driver's licenses. And uh, Jerry Connor, a state rep in New Hampshire, was leading on it, got it done. And so we really modeled uh, our bill after what she did. That's great. I mean, I know that there's also, you know, uh, anything that you can to do to make marginalized people feel more accepted is really important. Um, and I know, like you said, you wanted to address their safety uh, and like the fear they have when traveling. Um, how does this legislation address those fears? Well, first, a lot of them don't feel comfortable traveling because they don't have, want to get a passport uh, when they don't feel that they can uh, have a true marker that is true to, to, to who they are. Uh, second, we put up so many hurdles uh, in terms of uh, identifying the gender you, you, you want. I mean, a lot of times you have to go to doctors mm-hmm. and get notes and, and try to prove things through a bureaucracy. What this bill says is, no, self-attestation is enough. We should basically allow people to identify uh, the gender that, that, that they want, and we shouldn't make them run through a lot of hoops. So I think making that process simple, uh, giving people the option will give them the comfort of, of, of getting a passport, of traveling, uh, and uh, being uh, true to their identity. And so how would this make it easier to get their gender identity on their own form of identification? So basically all they have to do is uh, go to the State Department, fill out a form, say, uh, I attest that this is my gender, uh, whether it's uh, non-binary or uh, male or female, and then that would be the accepted uh, gender and identification on their passport. And that, that it should be really that simple. I mean, I don't know how we've complicated this. In fact, uh, you know, some of my team who was leading this, Emma uh, Preston, told me that we didn't even have gender on uh, passports until uh, the 1970s uh, uh, or 1980s. So it's a, a recent thing that we even had gender on the passport. Uh, and so if we're going to have it, uh, we should uh, allow people to choose what gender they want. And so why, why not just try and take gender off of identification? Well, you know, I think that uh, that would be a very, very heavy lift, uh, given the, the, what we've done. Uh, I think a simpler solution is just allowing people to identify uh, with the gender they want uh, through self-attestation. And I think that's something that we can get through. I mean, I've been so pleased with the response from Congress. We've got the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee who's supporting the bill. Uh, even members were a little bit more conservative supporting the bill, and Democrats, though. Uh, so I and the State Department didn't rule it out of hand. I mean, they made some statement saying, "Well, you have to deal with whatever documents we give you," but they didn't, you know, trash the idea. And, and that's the Trump State Department. So uh, I'm I'm hopeful that this will actually uh, come to fruition. Yeah. Um, so since taking office, the Trump administration has been targeting the LGBTQ community with the trans military ban, uh, passing the Equality Act, amongst other things. Um, why do you think they are spe- uh, specifically targeting us, and how could we combat that? Well, they're targeting it for political reasons. I mean, it appeals to Trump's political base for the same reason that they're blaming immigrants, for the same reason that they're bashing China, for the same reason that they're engaged in xenophobia. I mean, this is the entire president's strategy to divide this country, to make some people them, some people other, and the people who vote for him as part of the in-group of what it means to be a true American. And it's the most uh, divisive uh, political strategy I've seen in my lifetime. I think the way we combat them is by building a multicultural, multi-generational, multiracial coalition that includes uh, all of the different groups that have been targeted. So I think we have to have coalition politics. You can't just say, have the LGBTQ plus community in isolation from uh, the DACA community or in isolation from uh, the Muslim American community. I think we have to say, uh, we all stand for a pluralistic vision of America. And if we all unite, uh, that voice is going to be much louder and stronger uh, than the voices of uh, hate. 
And it looks like you're doing a lot to build that coalition. Um, you also serve as a co-chair on Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. Um, and it seems like he is building that uh, coalition. And he's clearly the front runner. And there's a pretty good chance that after this weekend in South Carolina and Super Tuesday, he will be even closer to securing the nomination. Um, but, you know, there's this narrative in the media about moderate voters who are sick of Trump but are nervous about his election chances in the general election and how it would affect down-ballot votes. What would you say to quell those fears? I'd say a lot of those fears were voiced about Barack Obama. I remember people were saying when he was getting close to the nomination, I don't know if an African-American can win in some of these areas. I don't know if someone who has a Muslim middle name can win. Uh, he's too liberal. He's one of the most liberal members of the Senate. Uh, and Barack Obama won one of the most decisive uh, victories in uh, modern times for the Democratic Party. Uh, and what does uh, Sanders' campaign have in common? You have long lines out there to see him. You have uh, young people out there for him. You have a multi-generational coalition, a multi-racial coalition. So I say, look at the excitement he's generating. Look at the people he's inspiring. And no one is asking you to agree with every one of his policies. I mean, people can still run their own races consistent to their district, but we need someone at the top of the ticket who's going to get a large turnout because Donald Trump is going to get a large turnout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he definitely seems to have that core group of supporters um, that could really just mobilize. It's really impressive to see his his audiences. Um, so what was your and other surrogates' reaction to the news that Russia might be favoring Sanders and working to boost his campaign? I was very concerned. I mean, I uh, don't doubt that Russia is trying to interfere in our elections. I don't think they have any other plan other than to sow chaos, to sow disruption. And uh, we have to take it very seriously. And the House has. We've passed legislation that would have actually addressed this in H.R. 1. We've said we need to beef up our election security. We need to prevent misinformation. We need to regulate social media companies so that they don't have uh, foreign actors as bots or foreign mm -hmm. actors buying ads. And that's sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. So uh, if, if, if we're serious about tackling interference, what we need to do is pass these policies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. There's, it seems like there's a few things sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. That's an understatement, yeah. <laughs> um, one of those being the Equality Act as well. Um, so uh, but the Equality Act, just so, cause, I mean, I, I'm sure maybe your listeners know it, but let's just be clear. This country, in certain parts of the state, it's still acceptable to fire someone because they're gay. Mm -hmm. I mean, but most people don't realize all the Equality Act says is you should be able to fire someone if they're gay. You shouldn't be able to discriminate with, uh, against someone if they're gay. I mean, I can't believe that in 2020 we're still having a debate on this. Yeah, it really feels so easy. And, you know, just thinking about, you know, how, I mean, how quickly we've moved in this direction, you know, marriage equality happened. And um, it's just crazy to see how quickly it's changing. But, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's fast enough. Yeah, and, and I think I think the culture is changing faster than the, the laws and the politicians. I think Washington is always playing catch up. Mm -hmm. Um. And I know, like, you're obviously in the camp for Bernie Sanders, but, you know, it is amazing to see, despite whatever policies he has, Pete Buttigieg out there. Um, oh, I think it's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, he's uh, run a phenomenal campaign. I mean, I, obviously, we have policy disagreements, but to see Iowa, the heartland of our country, uh, give him a win and to see how much he's been resonating. And I don't think there's, there's a doubt in my mind that uh, he's shown that someone uh, it could be gay, proud of it, and... Uh, and win the presidency. I mean, I, I think he's been run an extraordinary campaign. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I just want to give you um, the opportunity to talk about why you think uh, a Bernie Sanders presidency is the best option for America going forward. I think our challenge is how are we going to get people into the middle class? How are we going to get working class folks a fair shot? And what Bernie Sanders is saying is, Everyone should have basic health care. They don't, shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for it. People shouldn't have to pay ten to twelve thousand dollars in premiums every year. You shouldn't get deductibles where you're uh, billed three thousand dollars for uh, some surgery. 
because you couldn't uh, hit, hit your uh, mark of a minimum payment. Uh, he's saying everyone should get education. You shouldn't have to get a $30,000 loan to, to go to college or to go to trade school. He's saying everyone should have the opportunity for child care. Uh, how else are you going to be able to work? So uh, he's talking about some things that are so common sense about improving people's lives, and he has a lifetime record of fighting for that and, and trying to deliver that. Uh, and that's why I think uh, he's the right candidate for this time. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Um, so I just want to ask you one more quick question before we go, because um, this just happened last night. I just wanted to get your reaction because, you know, every, everyone is getting nervous about, you know, the coronavirus. Um, what is right. your, Yeah. What is your reaction to Trump making Mike Pence the, the lead uh, against this uh, effort for this effort? It's a little odd. I mean, I, I don't understand why he isn't making a scientist or a doctor the lead. I mean, the, 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 the administration's war against science is really, this is when it really hurts. I mean, uh, for the president just to get up there and say, okay, let's go wash your hands. I mean, that's it's great. I mean, my mom tells me that, but, you know, he's the president of the United States. You would mm-hmm. think he'd say, let's get the experts from around the country here in D.C. to figure out what is an antiviral that we mm-hmm. they, they, they can work. What are we doing for a vaccine? How are we going to make that vaccine affordable for everyone? What are we doing to increase CDC's capacity for testing? What are we doing to make sure that we're increasing hospital capacity in case people have to come in? There was no plan, and, mm-hmm. and it was just uh, his his ramblings, which would be fine if he were a, a dad or an uncle or a parent, but he's the president of the United States. He needs to mobilize science to tackle c- the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty clear that he doesn't really care about science and likes to uh, put people in positions that they are not qualified for. Um, I don't know if you yeah. saw, I just always thought it was, this is a funny headline and it kind of like ties together for me how he had to get cauliflower snuck into his mashed potatoes i don't know if you saw that this (laughs) week (laughs) um just kind of goes along with those lines all right um well congressman thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this uh new legislation and bernie sanders thank you i I appreciate your voice out there i'm a fan of the show and i appreciate your having me on uh so before we go um where can our listeners find you uh support your re-election you're running for re-election this year um and just learn more about you and uh all that stuff. Well, I'd love to have them find me on Twitter. I mean, at Rokana. They can go to my website, www.rokana.com. And they can also also go to my rep uh, Twitter, at rep Rokana, all, all places. I'm easily, easily accessible. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Brian Russell Smith, and this has been the Betcha Sup Podcast. The Betches Up podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. The Sup is created by Sammy Fishbein. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to Sup at Betches.com. Betches.